Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rock Podcast, the official podcast of the Scottish Rock Garden Club. I'm your host Connor. As always, be sure to check out the Scottish Rock website at www.srgce.net for the most recent information on shows, lectures, the Scottish Rock Journal and the International Rock Gardener. Okay, today we are joined by Linda, who gardens in the Pacific Northwest and North Northwest America. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Good stuff. How are you coping with the lockdown? Is everything okay there? Well, I'm I'm not a person who does a lot anyway, other than travel to see wildflowers, which I can still do. Uh, and you're based in Washington, yeah? Yes, uh, I live in uh, a little place called Port Ludlow, which is on the Olympic Peninsula. Okay, so a lot of nice wildlife round about you there. Yes. So have you lived there for a while, yeah? I've lived here about six or seven years. And before that, I lived uh, on Bainbridge Island, which is an island in Puget Sound, a ferry ride from Seattle. All right, okay. What kind of climate are you on? From my experience of living in Oregon, the climates are quite diverse for the state. Uh, so what, what kind of soil have you got? Are you more the kind of Mediterranean stuff or have you got forest around you? Well, the natural habitat here is forest, uh, Douglas fir forest. But uh, I live in an area that's been cleared for houses and the soil is kind of sandy, um, bad soil. So it drains very well. And we live in what's known as the rain shadow of the Olympics. So we get about 25 inches of rain a year and there are places close to us that only get 19 inches. We're also very cool here in the summertime, um, much cooler than Portland. You were more in the Portland area. Yeah, I was about 40 minutes drive uh, southwest of Portland. Yeah, we're, we're probably 10 to 20 degrees cooler here in the summer. That sounds so, pretty great. <laughs> I think we can grow a lot of plants uh, that you could probably grow in Scotland as well. <laughs> Yeah, so, aye, so you're still able to get out and then and visit a lot of the wild areas close by then? I haven't gotten out as much as I want to this year, but uh, I have gotten out some. Uh, last week, I went to a place in central Oregon called the Ochico, in the Ochico National Forest. Uh, that's sort of high desert um, area. A lot of interesting plants on the east side of the mountains. Uh-huh. Have you got a specific interest in plants as well? Are you you're quite keen on native stuff? Yeah. Yes, I've since I moved here, I've gotten much more interested in natives. In my old garden on Bainbridge, I I did sort of tropicals, but here I like natives. They do well. All all kinds of natives do well here, um, and I'm particularly interested in castilleias and pedicularis trying to grow those supposedly ungrowable plants. <laughs> yes, I, that, that's uh, good that you've mentioned that because I had a big question about that as well because you put up a photo not that long ago of all these small seedlings of uh, castilleia, which I was really impressed by because um, especially in Europe, I haven't seen too many of them. I've seen a couple. 
uh, but they're they're quite difficult to grow to get them to attach to a host or to germinate in the first place. Well, I think that's somewhat of a myth. Some of them might be difficult to grow, uh, particularly the ones from the very, very dry areas. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are a couple species that are quite common in the Puget Sound lowlands, and they do very well in gardens, and they're not that difficult to grow, and that's Castilea miniata and Castilea hispida. Mm -hmm. uh, I have hundreds of them in my garden now because they have naturalized, they self-sow. Yeah, I was very impressed by your, your photos of them just taking over as well, as yeah. was the... <laughs> Clarkia Meadow as well. That was phenomenal with the grasses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're designing your garden and you're planting it up, is there a lot of inspiration from some of your travels and the kind of local wilderness? Is that where you get a lot of your ideas from? Yeah, um, I've particularly been impressed with areas around the Columbia Gorge. And there, especially on the eastern part of the gorge, uh, there's kind of what what would be considered open step habitat there. And a lot of the plants are just beautiful plants, such as Lomatium columbianum, mm -hmm. uh, which I grow a lot of. And that's another one that is somewhat difficult to um, find a spot for in a garden. It's not that hard if you find the right spot for it, but it has kind of a particular growth habit that is difficult for a lot of gardeners because it comes up very, very early. In, I, I see growth in February and it flowers at the end of March or in the beginning of April, and then it goes dormant in the summer. It's a very attractive plant and it's quite low growing, especially when you see it grown in the wild. Yes, and it has, uh, in the wild, so the plants can be fairly large, uh, mm -hmm. maybe two to three feet across mm -hmm. uh, a mature plant and have a lot of flowers on each plant, but it takes it a long time to get to that size. And I've been told that studies have been done on how old some of these lomatiums are, and some of them can be up to a hundred or more years old. Wow. So they grow, they, they're slow growing, but they're stayers in the garden. If you can find them a spot they like. And then is there another particular plant? You put up some lovely photos as well. I quite like how you, you seem to be really good with color and getting the color combinations right with some plants as well. Well, that's just my, <laughs> I use the colors I prefer. Yeah. Uh, they are kind of dual tone colors. I don't, I don't subscribe to the, any rules about color, but I, I just put any colors that I like together. And I don't, I don't spend a lot of time deciding what color goes with what, because so much in my garden is self-sown. Okay. And so where do you get the seeds from? Because uh, you've got some great nurseries um, close to Washington State as well. You've got like Zera Plants, uh, which is Sean Hogan. And you've got Far Reaches Nursery as well. And then you've got Heronswood not too far away. Yeah. Um, seed is sort of a sad story <laughs> for some of these choice native plants. Uh, because there used to be more people collecting seed. 
-hmm. And um, you may have heard of Ron Radko and his seed company, which is stuck. He stopped collecting a few years ago and um, All Plains uh, out of Colorado, he, they've stopped collecting, although they still sell, um, but they probably won't have stuff anymore once they finish with their inventory. Oh. And there, there are native, um, some very good native plant nurseries uh, in the area that have some of the more unusual things. But I have a long list of plants I really would like to grow and seed is just totally unavailable. Yeah, I found that um, I was in Oregon last year. I was doing a couple talks and we went to Saddle Mountain, which has uh, some quite interesting geology behind it which of course has brought about some quite incredible um rare endemics to the area and uh, there was quite a lot of uh, Lewisia columbianum that uh, looked as if to my eye the seed had been plucked from it and there was lots of um aquilegias as well that looked as if they'd been deadheaded by hikers coming and it's it's a shame that a lot of the plants that you know, could easily become staples in a lot of people's gardens seem to be damaged. Uh, it didn't look as if they were collecting because it looked far too early to be collecting when I was there. Uh, so it was unfortunate that the viable seed had been lost. Yeah, is that the Saddle Mountain that's near Astoria? Yes, yes it is. Yeah, I, that gets a lot of traffic. So yeah, that would happen. Um... And there, there, I do a lot of hiking in the Mount Rainier National Park, which is just a wonderful place. It's where I want my ashes scattered. <laughs> uh, and there, because it's a national park and there are a lot of plants there that I would love to grow, they, you're not supposed to collect seed from those. For example, there's a, there's a really great Castalia, the, the Mount Rainier form of Castalia parviflora. Mm -hmm. which has very large magenta pink flowers and it's just gorgeous and there are fields and fields of it uh, in certain places in Mount Rainier but seed of that one is just totally unavailable yeah it's a shame there was some I went hiking near Mount Hood last year as well and there was um, swathes and swathes of Castalea parviflora just uh, going up the river gorge just beside yeah. uh, the water and it, it looked amazing as well and they had um, the monkey flowers which are now all renamed um, yeah <laughs> another so, sad story <laughs> yeah yeah so I think it's Adrianthe it is now all apart from about... uh, it, yeah it could be yeah I think mm -hmm. it is and that one actually, that what used to be uh, Mimulus lewisii and now it's something else. Um, that one is actually easy to grow in the garden. In fact, it's too easy. It it seeds itself around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually it can become a bit of a nuisance here as well. Um, yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> yeah, we we have quite a bit of uh, rain in Scotland, so it likes to spread a bit too, a bit too easily. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. I could really get away, I think, there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So back to the Castellas as well, because I I think they're amazing plants. I've, I've really, um, I'm quite enamored with how beautiful they are and just the kind of range of 
colours they come in. A lot of people are like, oh, they're red. But there's there's some quite wonderful differences just in the tones of the the flowers itself and to the kind of different heights and where they grow and, and how they actually work. Uh, have you, when you're sowing the seeds, do you try and sow them directly onto another plant, which I've heard a lot of people do, but I've also heard that's complete nonsense and a lot of them can sustain themselves by by the, by themselves just as they are. Yeah, I don't uh, worry about host plants too much uh, with castaleas. I, I sow them in their individual pots. I found that uh, they, they'll grow in the pot uh, for a couple of years, you, you can do that. And then I found it's probably better to separate them out the second year in the pot because they're very small if you try to separate them out in the first year. Or you could grow, another way that's been suggested to grow them is to grow them in uh, tall liner pots. Uh, so you never have to separate them out, which is something I'm gonna try next year. Oh. But uh, I have castaleas that, well, I have one because I've been experimenting with this particular one that has been growing in a pot now for three years without a host. And it blooms every year and seems to do just as well as any other castalea. So, I mean, the castaleas don't require a host plant in order to photosynthesize. They, there have been studies that show that at least certain ones of them do better with a host plant. And, uh, it's not known for sure why that is, but it could be that, especially in arid climates, they get water from the host plant. And I found that castaleas generally will die if they aren't watered enough early on. And people who are growing castaleas, say from an arid place, may find they die because they haven't been watered enough. And, and that's probably the case until they uh, establish a relationship with the host plant. But I don't worry about a host plant until I plant them out. And that may not be for uh, one or two years after they come up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And particularis seem to be quite similar to that as well. I've heard similar stories of they're pretty much fine by themselves. Um, just getting started and it's their kind of uh, relationship that they have is only to kind of benefit them a little bit and it's not really essential. Yeah, yeah, they're also hemiparasitic and that's what hemiparasitic means is they, they benefit from a host plant but they don't require a host plant. Yeah. And oh, uh, I do grow pedicularis... Um, Greenlandica, which is probably the most common one around here, and it's a beautiful plant. Uh, I've seen it growing in eastern Oregon, you know, where whole fields are covered with it. It's just gorgeous, and it grows perfectly well in my garden, uh, and it's probably the easiest one so far that I've grown, but uh, the problem with Pedicularis, and there are Lots and lots of Pedicularis worldwide. Seed of most of them is not available. The other one I'm, I'm working on uh, is Pedicularis densiflora, which is mainly a native in California, but it, there's a few populations in Southern Oregon. And it's, it's a gorgeous plant with kind of almost blood red flowers. 
and it's been a little more difficult than Pedicularis greenlandica, although I have some seedlings of it right now. Um, it remains to be seen whether they'll come up next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got that one, that particular species has really nice kind of dark foliage, hasn't it? Yeah, well, all, all the pedicularis, except for maybe Racemosa, which is not one of my favorite, uh, have very ferny foliage, and it's pretty attractive. Yeah, I've, I've seen some when I was working in Germany, and it's there are quite magical plants. I've seen even more interesting uh, species through the phone of people's travels to China of all these kind of wonderful uh, plants that were grown high up in the Himalaya. But yeah, there, there seems to be, it's not as if there's a shortage, there seems to be no seed really. It's right. And in China, you know, they have over 300 species and yet all the collectors who go to China don't collect Pedicularis. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't actually say that I've seen a single Pedicularis in a botanic garden apart from the botanic garden in Munich, uh, but that was in the the Schacken, so that had the kind of natural area around it, so that's how they were growing it, which is a shame as well. It, it must be a underutilized plant in botanic gardens and therefore in research as well. I, well, I think probably the scarcity of seed is the limiting factor, although Pedicularis greenlandica now seed is, is much more widely available than it was even three or four years ago. Greenlandica is so widespread, um, you know, throughout North America that there should be no shortage of seed. Yeah. So have you got a kind of favorite hiking spot that you go to to try and look at a, a certain plant? Have you got a particular plant that kind of steals your heart at a time of year? Well, another plant that uh, I love and uh, I do have some growing in the garden now is uh, one called Phenicolis charanthoides, which is... Uh, it's it's in the it's uh, related to rock cresses. It has really very nice blue foliage and pink or magenta flowers. The flowers actually vary from almost white to very dark pink. And it it grows in fairly harsh deserty conditions. Uh, there's some in the gorge uh, on the eastern end of the gorge, Columbia River Gorge, and uh, it's not a hard plant to grow. It might be a hard plant to satisfy as for condition because it does grow in fairly dry conditions. But I think it would probably do well in a, in a very well-drained, sunny rock garden. Is it, if you Google it, you'll see some gorgeous pictures of it. So that's one of the ones I sort of am on a kick about right now. I also am looking for various Fraseras. Uh, there's there's one I just saw in the gorge not too long ago, uh, which is Frasera uh, Acalis, Frasera albicollis, uh, Var Columbiana, and that one has it has kind of, sort of grassy, 
but very uh, substantial grassy foliage and blue flowers, and it's related to gentians. And it looks like it would be just a wonderful garden plant, but that's one that no seed is available of that particular uh, subspecies or variety. There are other varieties where I have gotten seed, like I, seed is often available from the North American Rock Garden Society Seed Exchange on Fraseras. Yeah, they, I mean, there's, there's just above you, there's quite popular rock gardening uh, clubs in Vancouver as well. Yes, yes. But yeah, it's, that's that's a plant that uh, Fraser I've never seen in Scotland at all, but it probably would be quite happy here. I think it, well, most of them grow on the east side of the mountains, but again, in the proper rock garden setting, I think they would do well. Some of them are not really rock garden plants. Um, I have one that I is now in its second year and is doing well, uh, Fraseras uh, fastigiata, which is looks like a very large gentian. These, they're all related to gentians. And it, it gets uh, several feet tall with blue flowers. And it grows more in meadow conditions, but in dry meadow conditions. And, and the there's one called the uh, well, it's a it's a very odd plant, Fraseria speciosa, which uh, forms a rosette, which is actually quite attractive, and it doesn't bloom for quite a few years, and then many of them bloom at once. And you've probably seen pictures of them, especially in the Rockies when they bloom with white flowers. I have gotten some of that to germinate, and they're growing still. I found with these Fraseras, they're kind of like gentians in that they take a long time to mature. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go slightly off topic just because you put up a photo not that long ago of a certain lobelia, which I'm very oh, yeah. envious of. <laughs> I think yeah, I must. I love <laughs> yeah, I think I must be really hard to listen to because I've not really got much of a. Uh, there's not much of a plan to these podcasts. I just kind of say whatever comes. But yeah, the lobelia has been on my mind for quite a while just because it, it looked such a good size, the one that you had. And it looked really yeah, happy. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are getting to be a good size. Um, I haven't um, wanted to risk leaving, leaving them outside all winter yet. Uh, that's lobelia decenii. Um and I have a friend who did leave some outside one winter and he said they died, but they probably weren't as mature as the ones I have. Uh, so it's possible I might try one out. Uh, who knows, maybe they would survive. Or if I put an umbrella over them when it got really cold, maybe they'd survive. Yeah, I'm, I really don't know much about their habitat because they're from um, Eastern Africa and I'm not sure, but it's high elevations, I'm sure. It is, yes. So it must get fairly cold. Um, it does. And they apparently have this habit of the leaves, you know, the leaves are in this very nice rosette. And when it gets cold, the leaves go upward and they close over the growing point. And I can see that because I, I normally, what I do with these is that they're growing in pots and I put them by my front porch. 
and I leave them outside until the, the forecast shows that it's going to go below freezing, and then I put them on the front porch. So they're under cover, but they're not inside the house. And they survive that way. And I can see their leaves going up to protect the growing point when it gets really cold, and it's kind of interesting. Oh. Yeah, the, I mean, it's a fascinating genus because you've got plants in Chile like Lobelia tupa and then you've got plants all the way in New Zealand as well. Um, yeah, and, and speaking of New Zealand, I guess the Dunedin Botanical Garden does grow Lobelia uh, decanii uh, in their garden. Okay. Ah, I, will, I will have to investigate to try and find out is I think, from my knowledge, there's a couple of people that have been to Dunedin, which is on the South Island of um, New Zealand. So it's a bit, it doesn't get as cold as a Northern Island as well. It's a bit more rocky. So maybe it's the extra heat yeah. makes it happier and it's a bit drier, possibly. Well, I think it, it, probably has a climate sort of like we do and that it never gets very warm, but it never gets very cold either. Uh, and, and that brings up the subject of New, New Zealand uh, alpines that I have a couple favorites of those that I like to grow and that is Acephylas and Selmesias. Yeah. And they do well here, but they wouldn't do well, for example, in Portland. Yeah, yeah. The We've got a couple at the um, uh, Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh as well. Uh, they did do a lot better in years gone by from what I've heard from some of the gardeners that have been there a while. Um, I think they like it quite cool and we've got progressively warmer, um, probably laughable warm from Oregon temperatures and stuff like that. <laughs> I think we got to like... Uh, what was it, 33 degrees, which is like 78 or something like that, which for me is very warm, but it hit 105, which is 40 degrees in Oregon when I was first working there, and that was the warmest I'd, I'd ever known, and it was horrible. <laughs> it was <dreadful. laughs> yeah, we here on the Olympic Peninsula, we never get much above 80 Uh and I don't know how to translate that into centigrade, so you'll have to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's about it's about 30, 30 odd anyway, or just early thirties, yeah. I think. Yeah, and when I when I moved here from Bainbridge Island, uh, which is not you know, a Bainbridge is about a forty five minute drive from here. Uh, it's more, it's a little bit south, and it's in in Puget Sound. We're so we're sort of at the top of Puget Sound here. And uh, driving from my house on Bainbridge to the house we live in now, uh, and I did that for a while because I was maintaining the garden there for a while while a house was for sale, the temperature would drop 10 degrees after I crossed uh, Hood Canal over to the Olympic Peninsula. Uh -huh. huh. So yeah. that, that coolness we have is a blessing and a curse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a similar thing in Oregon. Uh, one of the guys that live close to Mount Hood, he said it would drop about 10 degrees Fahrenheit um, whenever he was traveling to and from work. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've also found out 
um, quite recently, actually, that you're one of the people that run the Facebook group for the Pacific Northwest. Well, it's the Pacific Northwest Plant Geeks group, yes. Yeah, yeah. So is that... Um, yeah, so I, I should have actually mentioned before, for those that don't know Pacific Northwest, it's kind of from... Uh, obviously, it's really famous for Scottish people because of plant hunters like David Douglas going over. Um, but it's from the kind of northern point of the state of California all the way up to uh, the kind of southwest of Canada, just above Washington. Yes, and we have members in uh, Idaho and uh, we may have members in uh, the western part of Nevada, the northwestern part. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would call the Pacific Northwest. Um, and it goes down in California uh, quite a ways, I think, especially along the coast. The climate there is very similar to the climate in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and there's, there's a ton of, there's an incredible diversity of lots of different plants throughout that entire range. Um, there's hot spots, which I wanted to get down to when I was last there in kind of southwest Oregon. There's lots of very kind of rare fritillaria. Um, and then, yeah, you've got the big beastly trees of Douglas firs as well. But there's a quite incredible range when you go west to east as well from how wet it is to how dry it is. Right. And and I, you're talking about the Siskiyou, the Klamath Siskiyou region, which that's a place uh, I haven't really explored a lot, but it's high on my list. There's a there's a very nice Castalia there, um, which is has purple flowers, which is pretty amazing, kind of purple hairy flowers. Uh -huh. <laughs> so definitely high on my list to go see it. And, and also in that area, you see Pedicularis densiflora, which uh, you don't have to go high to see that, but that's definitely a hot spot for great plants. Yeah, yeah, it's on my list too. It's on my list too. Yeah, there's so many things, and and another one on my list is Steens Mountain. You you've heard of that? Uh, I haven't. Steens Mountain. Steens, S-T-E-E-N-S -E -E Mountain. It's it's a mountain in southeastern Oregon. And it's just one mountain uh, kind of off by itself. And it has a lot of very, very interesting plants. Um, that whole area in southeastern Oregon is very uh, unpopulated. It's, it's supposed to be one of the least populated regions in the entire country. Wow. And then, of course, there's the Wallawas. Have you been to that area? Yes, I have. There was, uh, when I first arrived in Oregon, which I think must be about four years ago now, I was there for a year. Um, I came across a newspaper article that said the seven wonders of Oregon. And the Wallawas were on it. Uh, Crater Lake was on it. Uh, the Painted Hills. Uh, Mount Hood was on it. There was some some really great places on it. But yeah, the Wallawas were amazing. It was um, I'm trying to describe it without 
and, and do it justice. It was like a kind of incredibly large waterfall, um, which had, yeah, there was lots of really interesting plants about that area. Yeah, once when I was much younger, I did a backpacking trip through the Willowas for a, a week and it it was one of the most gorgeous places I've ever been. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting plants over there. Uh, and, and also sort of, you're sort of along the, the Snake River there. There's a very deep canyon uh, where the Snake River is in that area. It's deeper than Grand Canyon and a uh, lot of interesting plants there. Yeah, one of my my other fond memories of my time in the States was uh, me and one of the guys I was living with, we went down into California to see the Redwoods as well. Have you done that? Uh, I've, I've sort of scooted by them from time to time. I go down uh, just over the border every once in a while because I like to camp in Southern Oregon. I grew up in Southern Oregon. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I haven't really gone plant hunting in the redwoods there. It was just, yeah, it was amazing. The trees are, every tree for a week looks small. Um, <laughs> just the sheer scale of these plants is, is unbelievable. But they had some quite interesting, uh, the plants themselves are really interesting. A lot of the kind of older plants had been struck by lightning and it hollows out the center. But huh. the the rest of the tree is still alive because that's where the water is. Um, yeah. So you could walk in, uh, walk into a perfectly living tree, um, and then we also drove through one as well. It was it was quite a bizarre experience, but there was a lot of fern diversity and uh, some woodland plants as well that were were just incredible. Yeah, for connoisseurs of those kinds of plants, that's a, it's a good place to go. You know, I'm I'm from the Oregon coast, and so uh, I like plants from the east side of the mountains more than west side mountain west side plants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the, the time at the coast as well. I've I've been there a couple times, and um, and Mount Hood as well had some quite spectacular my memory's going slightly I can't remember uh, all the plants but the castellas the uh, monkey flowers as well and there were some gentians as well that were creeping out yeah uh, I'm, I'm growing some of those gentians but gentians are slow <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think I'm going to have, there's, I forget the name of it, but there's one that's native to the lower, uh, to the lowlands in the Pacific Northwest uh, that I grew it from seed about four or five years ago, and it's going to bloom this year, finally. Perfect. So, yeah, I was just going to try and find a way to, to uh, kind of wrap this up. Um, is there any? I do have like a a list of must see areas for people that come to Washington, for like the Columbia Gorge or the places that you 
would recommend saying you just have to go here? Uh, well, yeah, I could recommend some. Uh, I would say number, there's the Columbia Gorge, but again, you have to do that in season. And the season for that would be March or April. And then there's Mount Rainier. The season there is just starting. Um, and uh, Mount Rainier is, um, you, you must see it at some point. It is absolutely spectacular. The wildflowers there are just amazing. And uh, then, uh, of course, there's the Olympics uh, and uh, Hurricane Ridge and trails going off from that uh, have a lot of wildflowers. And there are places in the North Cascades that are very nice also. And of course, you can always go see things like uh, Louisiopsis tweedii, which grows near Wenatchee, which is sort of near the North Cascades. Yeah, Louisias are one of the great plants as well. Unfortunately, we can't successfully uh, overwinter. The, well, I can't anyway. It's just far too wet for where I garden. But um, at Isley, where I worked at when I was in Oregon, they had big plants that were about 20, 25 years old that had little chunks on them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I found that even in my garden, um, half the time they die over the winter because of, of wetness. You really have to try them in a number of places, uh, which is why it's good to grow them from seed so you can do that. But, you know, growing them in a rock wall so they're coming directly out of the rock wall uh, might be a good way to grow them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Perfect. Uh, yeah, any more tricks for castaleas as well? I'm going to try and get some seed now and, and try and figure out a way to crack the code. Well, they don't require anything in particular, I found. You just have to sow them early enough. Um, apparently, the ones that are, that are from higher altitudes generally, and this makes sense, generally require a longer period of cold stratification. Um, so you just need to sow them early enough. And uh, they do like fertilizer while, they're, while they don't have a host. So I always fertilize mine with a light uh, mix of an organic fertilizer. Okay, perfect. And do you, do you try and sow the seed as fresh as possible or just over the winter period? I found that, I mean, I think it's always better to try to get fresh seed, uh, but you can keep the seed for a couple years and I think it would still germinate maybe to a less extent. Um, I've had seed that has that I've sowed and hasn't come up till a year after I sowed it. So uh, don't despair if it doesn't come up the first year. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, finding the time to, to chat to me as well and, uh, yeah, share some of your cool experience. I really want to go back to the Pacific Northwest now. I'm getting a bit home from homesick again. Yeah, well, give me a call if you ever are out here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love to visit. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.